Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, keys to an effective prayer life. He says, continuing earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So continue earnestly, vigilant, and thanksgiving are the four ingredients that he prayed for and exhorted them. And so the first thing we see is that there would just be a continuous prayer. Remember back in Colossians 1, verse 3 and 4, Paul said this is what he was doing for the Colossian church when they came into existence. Isn't that radical? The the day that this, this, this town heard about Christ and the church was started, a long ways away, they had this guy praying continually. Listen to this in Colossians 1, verse 3 and 4. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. I don't think Paul was an exaggerator. I don't think he was a liar. I think God had impressed on his heart, and he, Colossians, a lot of other churches too, but Colossian church was added in there. Since I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. So it was a genuine work because the work of God, the main thing is love. And that love for one another, the love for other believers, the love that God said would distinguish us. The world would know we're its disciples by that love. He said, man, he started praying that that work would be a mighty, fruitful work. Remember in Ephesians 6.18, a parallel passage to Colossians. Remember the letter to the Ephesian church would be read by the Colossians. The Colossian church would be read by Ephesus. They were all spread around. But they, so Paul didn't say exactly the same thing because he knew they'd be reading the other letter. So, but yet he, he hit on certain points, letting them know this applies to you also, but also read the book of Ephesians to get fuller information on it. It's a much longer letter. But in Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Supplication is an earnest, passionate praying. So praying always with all prayer, (laughs) with supplication, in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance. And once again, all supplication for all the saints. Boy, it was a, it was a something. <laughs> Paul's prayer life was not, you know, you, you ever done that where you prayed for your food and then you start eating going, did we pray? And nobody knows. And then you think about it for, yeah, I did pray, but it was just so uh, generic and quick that it really had no significance. Paul is saying, when we pray for you guys, it's significant. Interesting, when we look at the area of prayer, we discover a lot of first. Out of all Christian duties, the reading of the word, the going to church, the giving of our offerings, the sharing of our faith, prayer is in its own category. And and we discover that it was the first scripture ever told by God to write. So many say this is the very first scripture ever written on the issue of prayer. In Exodus 17, the children of Israel had left Egypt, but the Amalekites doing this guerrilla warfare, picking off the last part of the clan, those who were weary, those who were weak, those who were half-hearted. 
they weren't really with Moses and they're thinking about returning to Egypt and if, or maybe just taking a right and go live somewhere else and, and quit following Moses and the gang. And when they were isolated in the back of the pack, the Malachites were picking them off and killing them. And the Lord told Moses, tell Joshua and get the men and go down and fight against the Malachites. Of course, they were just slaves. They'd never been taught how to use a bow and arrow or a sword or a spear or anything else. And uh, I don't even know how much they had of that stuff with them. But God said, go. So Joshua took a group of guys and Moses and his brother Aaron, another guy named Her, you are Her, was up on a mountain looking down in the valley at the battle. And through a process of trial and error, Moses realized when his hands were up, they had victory. But the moment the hands came down, they were being defeated. And I hope this happened in winter because he had to keep his hands up until the sun went down. And it was a supernatural thing. I, I don't think even the most fit person in the world would find it easy, if even possible, to keep your hands up from early morning till the sun goes down. And at times, Aaron and her had to plop him down on a rock and help him hold his arms up. But in order for victory to happen, if you would, they had to stay in a continued prostate way of prayer in order for them to have victory. And soon as the battle was over, God said, Moses, get Joshua, and I want you to write down this story and why Joshua is standing there watching it. Why? Because <clears throat> I think Joshua is down there going, we've never been trained, but we are the best soldiers in the world. Man, I threw a spear and it killed 10 guys in a row. And, and this guy didn't even know which end of the arrow to hold, and, and it's people and and man and then you know we're, we're amazing but yet when he read that he realized it had nothing to do with the guys in the valley physically fighting it all had to do with an 80 year old man up on the hill fighting to keep his arms up if you would in a continued straight state of humble prostate prayer uh, to God and that's the first time we find there in the scripture in, in Acts, or Exodus 17, where the Lord said, write this as a memorial in the book, recounting it in the hearing of Joshua. Interesting that Paul says the first thing that's to happen in any church, it's to be the top priority far above any other priority, is prayer. He tells Timothy how to pastor a church. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 through 4, Therefore I exhort, first of all, top priority, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in godliness reverence, for this is the good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We know this to be true, don't we? that Jesus made it clear that his house was to be a house of prayer above all things. Interesting when we think of that continuing, persistent prayer. I, Jesus taught on this. In Luke 18, 
he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. That's the nature of prayer. You see, when, when I'm studying the Bible, my mind gets to learn new things and interesting things and tie different things together and there's satisfaction to the mind. When I do have the duty of singing and worship, there, there's, again, gratification to my ears and my brain and my heart and, and music is some, and to some degree is gratifying. If I hear a study on prophecy, and boy, I get tantalized. If I hear the evangelist, I get excited. There, there's, there's different physical benefits to these things. But when it comes to prayer, all things must die. Because to continue in prayer, I mean, to pray for a couple of minutes, anybody can get, do that. We forget it that we even prayed sometimes. But but to continue in prayer, have you ever done that where you get and you start praying and praying and praying and, oh, man, you look at the clock, two minutes? I thought I prayed an hour. That's, it's all in faith. It's all trusting the Lord for the future. There's not typically a gratification to the mind or to the soul or to the body in prayer. And so people have a tendency to lose heart. But Jesus said it's important that men, are we all human beings here? We always ought to pray. This is, this is first and foremost. And not lose heart. That's again, it's all by faith. And then he tells a story, which is really an extreme story about a widow woman who needed legal protection, and she goes to the judge, and this judge is, he's just a sociopath. He said, I have no love for any man on earth. I care less about people. And I have no respect to God. Zero. But yet this widow kept persisting, persisting. Finally, the judge one day stops and says, I still don't care about people. I still don't fear God, but I just want to see you go away. <laughs> I'll do whatever you ask. Tell me if you promise you'll go away and quit bugging me. And Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly father? Wow. Who's our God? He's a judge. Does he care about people? He gave his only begotten son to die on the cross. He loves us so much. And again, how much respect and love does the father have towards the son and the son towards the father? We see that incredibly respectful, loving relationship in the triunity of God. And then Jesus ends this parable in Luke 18 by, by saying... In verse 6, the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. In verse 7, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with him? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. But here's the important part of this. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, referring, I believe, to the rapture of the church, will he really find faith on the earth? What's his definition of faith? The church crying out to him 
day and night. That's, it's not people being raised from the dead and people turning water into wine. And it, it's, it's just the Christian people like this widow crying out to God for help in this time. And when he comes to earth, it's like, how many prayer meetings am I going to find? How many Christians am I going to find continuing in prayer? And his own answer is, I don't think a lot. Why? Because we learn in 2 Thessalonians that, that the apostasia and a falling away of believers must first come first. The falling away of many who will forsake the gathering together in the brethren. Paul says, don't forsake the gathering together in the brethren, especially as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. What are we going to see? A lot of physical calamities, famines, and wars, and pestilence. It's going to be a hard time. What about politically? As the Antichrist comes into power, he's uniting the world in this demonic mindset, and they're all on the same page, except for Christians, who are not see their mindset as evil, and they see the Christian mindset as evil. They call evil good and good evil, and we call their evil. We call their, what they're doing is evil, and, and they think it's good. This is, this is what is, we're going to see in the world, and that's exactly what we're seeing today. What's the answer? This parable that men would always pray and not lose heart. And when Jesus comes again, he does find faith on the earth. It may be a Bible study of two or three, but yet they are praying night and day, crying out to him for deliverance. Boy, the Bible says, don't grow weary in doing good. How much in prayer, it's all the more so. In Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not lose heart. See, this is the problem with prayer. It happens in God's timing, and we often get discouraged going, Lord, any rational person would have answered that prayer last week, last year. Lord, it's gotten much worse since I started praying for this, and you still haven't answered my prayer. This is, this is the way it is. We're, we're praying to a sovereign God who is not a genie, prayer isn't rubbing the bottle going, hey, okay, now you're, I'm in control of you. <laughs> you're going to do whatever I ask. God's not a magic genie. He's a sovereign God. He does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and it's always full of love, and it's always righteous, and it's always in his perfect timing. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. In James 4.2, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Don't be discouraged and stop praying. Keep asking. In Hebrews 11.6, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a what? Rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you believe in God, well, don't stop there. Turn your life into prayer. <laughs> if you believe in a God who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, who hears and answers prayer, then he is saying, take an advantage of that and don't just be a believer in God. Turn that into this trust in prayer 
and, and you persisting until you get the very thing that you ask of him. Well, secondly, in Colossians 4, 2, we need to continue how? Earnestly in prayer, being vigilant with thanksgiving. It's interesting that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew, the disciples said, teach us to pray. And then at the end of Jesus' ministry in Luke, Jesus says, teach us to pray. They realized, you know, we don't need a seminar on how to preach dynamic sermons. It comes out of prayer. We don't need to be taught how to heal people. It comes out of a life of prayer. We don't need to be taught how to have wisdom and prophecy. It comes out of that life of prayer. If we can unlock Jesus' prayer life, then we have it all. And so they, they come to him both times. Lord, teach us to pray. And both times he talks about being persistent in prayer. And in the Luke 5, verse, Luke 11, verse 5 through 13, you know this story where the friend comes to his friend in the middle of the night and says, hey, I had some friend come from out of town. I need to put bread before them. Culturally, somebody shows up at your house, you got to feed him, you got to give him something to drink. And, and he's like, man, everybody's put away. And the culture of this time, all the kids go down and then all the animals get around him. You got a sheep, you got a, you know, the goat, you got everything settled down and quieted in the house. And ah, now I can sleep. This some guy's banging on the wall. The sheep jumps up, the goat begins to scream and, you know, everybody's getting stirred. He's go away. We're already asleep. And the goes on to say the guy doesn't want to get up. He's all he wants to do is tell him go away. But it says, nevertheless, but because of his persistence, the guy gets up and gives him all that he desires. And with that, Jesus teaches that most awesome teaching. Ask and what? Keep on asking. It's in the present continuous. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek, keep on seeking and you will find. Knock, like this guy was doing in the parable, and it will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everybody who knocks the door is open. So you sons know how to give. You, you fathers, even though you're evil in, in this wicked, sinful flesh, as sinful as we are, if your son asked you for bread, would he open his lunch pill at school and find a stone? Or if he asked for his lunch, a fish, and he opens up his lunchbox at school and there's a snake in there. Or if he goes and asks just for a egg and he opens up his lunchbox and there's a scorpion there. No father would be that wicked. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then in Matthew 7, 11, he doesn't say Holy Spirit, same parable. He says, give good things to those who ask him. But again, it comes after seeking and earnestly keep on seeking, asking and keep on asking and knocking and keep on knocking. It's, it's not it's not a one moment thing. It's not a, even a day thing or even a week thing or a month thing. 
I mean, I, I, I think about this often. The apostles, they saw Jesus raised up in heaven. They go to this upper room. And, and Peter, we've been here 10 days. I've got a farm to take care of. I've got my in-laws that I take care of. I've got a business I need to run. Do you, do you think, is, is it going to be much longer than 10 days? <laughs> and Peter's like, I'm as clueless as you guys are. What about you, James? No idea. I do not know if it's 11 days or 11 years. I have no idea. I do know that I'm not leaving until Jesus does in us what he wants to do in us. But only 120 continued earnestly in that upper room in prayer. I think of so many examples throughout the scripture. I, I have to be careful. I could make the sermon go on all day, as you know. But I think of Elijah. James chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. I love his commentary. The effective, fervent, earnest, continual prayer of a righteous man. This is important. What does it do? Avails much. Boy, be encouraged today. Your prayers will do much. Even if they're answered no. Even if they're answered wait. That time in prayer availed much either way. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I feel sorry for the guy. But he's saying, you know, you read about these heroes in the Bible, and he's saying, Elijah wasn't smarter than you. Elijah wasn't more righteous than you. Elijah wasn't born in this world with a special prayer DNA. He wasn't more humble than you. He didn't sin less than you. Elijah believe me, was as average as you can get. But yet his life was spectacular because he understood prayer. He was a man with a nature like ours. But what? He prayed how? Earnestly. Continuing earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. Horrible drought brought the people to repentance. After they repented, he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, when we go dive back in and read more of the story and put some bones on that meat, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we, we realize that after the bell worshipers had been killed and, and the nation uh, saw the power of God was greater than the power of Baal. And, 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 and Elijah went up to Mount Carmel. When we go to Israel, I think we sat at the same place Elijah did when we go to that, that overhang. But nevertheless, he was on the top of Mount uh, Carmel and he bowed to the ground and put his face in between his knees. And he said to his servant, okay, go now and look towards the sea. And he kept doing this over and over again until the seventh time the servant comes back because where he's looking out of Mount Carmel, you can only see east into the Jezreel Valley, the Valley of Armageddon, very fertile farmland to this day, probably the most fertile farmland on planet Earth. But 
he was having him look west towards the ocean to the Mediterranean Sea. And he said, well, it's pretty much the same, Elijah. There is one difference. When I look out way out there, I see a little, I think it's a cloud, about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, oh my, it may be too late. You better run as fast as you can or you're going to get stuck in the mud. And I love that story, but I tell you, Elijah earnestly prayed with his head between his knees once, twice, seven times. I tell you, he would have done it 70 times seven until the Lord did what the Lord had spoken to his heart that he was going to do. I think of King Josiah. <laughs> now this is Elijah's, predis, Elijah's follower, his disciple, Elisha. And Elisha was on the bed dying, probably of cancer. I don't know, he had some disease. But the Israeli king, not the tribe of Judah with a righteous section, but the Israel, a very wicked, idolatrous kingdom of the 10 northern kingdoms. He comes to Elisha and says, man, uh, the Syrians are coming and I think we are in big trouble. And, and Elisha on his deathbed said, okay, king, take some arrows open the window and start shooting arrows. And, and we, we discover here that this king is like, ah, these crazy prophets, they humiliate me. They make me feel like a kid. They don't respect me as a king. They, you know, and now he's going to have me do this thing, silly thing that I'm going to feel so embarrassed about. Okay, give me your arrows here. And he shoots some arrows out. And Elijah said, you did it. You are going to have victory. And then he said, hold it. I don't know how much victory. Take the arrows in your hand. Oh, I shot him out the window. Can't this silliness stop? Take him in your hand and hit him against the ground. One, two. Okay, now what? What's the prophecy? Elisha on his deathbed gets up and he's angry. And he said, oh, had you not stopped. Had you continued at least five or six times, you would have total victory. Now you only have victory over them three times. And in 2 Kings 13, 25, we read about that. And later the kingdom came back and fought against Israel and for decades was a continual thorn in their side because they were not obliterated because the king did not earnestly persist in hitting the arrows against the ground. What a picture again of Christians today. Lord, provide, provide, provide. Okay, I'll just put it on the credit card. Here you go. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it, but here's the credit card. Rather than wrestling in God with God over these issues, what is persistence of prayer does not look like? This is important. Because Jesus taught in Matthew about praying earnestly, persistently, but then he turns around and says, it doesn't look like this. And right now in the, the, the religious life of the Jews, it doesn't look like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They, they think that by their many words, they'll be heard. One, they, they don't do it just to God. They do it as a performance in front of people or on the street corners. So everybody goes, oh, they're so spiritual. Oh, they're amazing. And he says, they already have the reward. 
But then they threw their many repetitions. I think today a good example of that is in the Catholic Church saying, Hail Mary is over and over and over again, or our fathers are or something, because by their many saying it, repeating it over and over again, they think they're accomplishing something. Jesus says, out and out, this grieves God. It does not, it does not impress God. Matter of fact, if you look at heathen religions, Jesus said, this is what they do. And then he said, it's, it's not it's time for you to try to inform God what you need. Because he already knows what you need before you ask him. So what is persistence in prayer? Number one, it's not a time to inform God. He already knows what you need before you ask him. It's not a time with your many words to try to convince God. He already desires to give you good gifts like a father to his children so what is persistence, earnestness in prayer? It is a time to connect with God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. You know, the word prayer, as in most places in the New Testament, it's the same root as worship. Prosukamai, the word for worship, is to bow down at the feet and humble yourself. And in prayer, prosuke, it has the same root. The idea is there is a connection when you humble yourself in faith. I, I think of Jacob. Jacob, he just couldn't get God. And he kept working it out his own schemes, and it was just messing things up. So the Lord comes down as a wrestler. He's in close, all on top of him, sweaty, eyes, hair, arms, legs. And it's interesting that it seems like most of the night, the Lord gave Jacob the impression that he was winning, that he had a chance. <laughs> I, I wrestled in high school, and we did two minutes, three times, six minutes. You were exhausted. You were beyond exhausted. Here he wrestled with him all night long. Skin to skin, if you would. Face to face, if you would. Fingers in the mouth and yanking on his ears and face, burning it into the ground. Wrestling, wrestling. And then finally... Jacob is still thinking as it's starting to get light in the morning that he still has a chance. And the Lord just reaches over, bink, touches his hip, whoa, blows out his hip. But Jacob then grabs a hold of him. In the culture of this day, the winner would humiliate the loser by giving him a trophy. <laughs> if you had a trophy, it means you lost. And Jacob humbled himself and he said, I won't let you go till you bless me. And he said, what is your name? Jacob, hill catcher, thief, sneaky guy. Not anymore. Your name now is going to be Israel. One who has won with God. One who is governed by God. And it says there 
in, in Genesis 32 there. You have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And then he says, what's your name? He goes, you can't handle that. And he realized that he had just been skin to skin, face to face, grabbing his hair and his ears with God and he's alive. It wasn't until he wrestled with God that Jacob saw God's face to face and he was changed to Israel. Prayer is a time to connect. It's a time to maybe get to the feet and grab your hair and start washing the feet with the hair or get some oil and dump on the feet and, and, and connect and not let those feet go. Kiss them. It's a time of intimacy, of connection. I think of that Gentile woman who was playing around with witchcraft and her daughter ended up getting demon-possessed. The demons are like, oh yeah, you're going to use us and our powers to make money? Well, we're going to backfire on you. And her precious little daughter was demon-possessed. Jesus had left Israel. He was down in the tired and Sidon area, and this woman was a Gentile. But yet, she hears the news about the, not the Asbury revival, but the Galilee area revival. And the guy leading that revival was Jesus, and she was going to make sure she got there. He's close. I don't have to go all the way to Galilee. He's close by. And she comes and she grabs his feet. And she won't let those feet go. And the disciples were saying, Jesus, this is embarrassing. A Gentile's touching you. You're unclean. Tell her to go away from you. This is horrible. I think she's also a witch. This is, uh, this is disgusting. Look at her daughter. She's freaking out over there. Her eyes just rolled backwards. Ah, please, this, I don't even, this is so confusing. I don't know what to do with it. And Jesus says, I'm a Jew sent to help Jews. Let go of me. And then she won't let him go. She worships. And Jesus tried to shake her loose. It, is it right that I would give the children's bread to dogs, you Gentile dogs? She still hangs on and kisses and says, but even the puppies get the crumbs that fall to the ground. And Jesus looks at her and says, woman, great is your faith. Now, let me just ask you up front. Was Jesus going to leave this woman with a demon-possessed daughter for the next 30 years until that daughter died or something to remain demon-possessed? Of course he wasn't. So why did he treat this woman this way? Why did he draw her out this way? You see, this woman's faith unleashed her faith. It was visible through her earnestness, her persistence. She had a stubborn heart of faith, although he ignored her at first. She stayed near. And then he seemingly out and out rejected her more than once. She came back with faith. Even the little puppies get the crumbs after the mill. Woman, great is your faith. And then Jesus says this, I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel. I had to leave the nation and go to a Gentile country to finally see this earnest, persistent faith. And it rejoices my heart right now. I think of the woman who had the hemorrhage for 12 years. Spent all her money on doctors. She used to be a wealthy 
well-to-do woman, but all her money was gone. And she just purposed in her heart, when I touched the hem of his garment, Jews from the bottom of their garments had a blue tassel all the way around. So all she did is touch the little tassel, but she purposed in her heart, the moment I touch it, I'll be cleansed. The multitude was thronging Jesus. They were all grabbing at this celebrity, trying to touch him and and get near him to say, I touched this famous celebrity, Jesus. Jesus stops. Who touched me? And the apostle's going, everybody that can. But as he looked around, he said, virtue went out from me. I love the old King James. Virtue, power has left me. And I was, I didn't expect it. It wasn't my willing it. It wasn't my willing for the power to go out. Somebody got the power by faith. And it was evident to everybody, including Jesus. And he says to the woman, there's no magic in this tassel. <laughs> there was not the, some special trick. It's the same with everybody, your faith has made you well. But again, we see this woman pushing through the crowds to touch Jesus in a heart of faith. Well, the next thing we see is a vigilance in prayer, continuing earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving or watchful. Some translations say that. Literally, it means to be awake, (laughs) to be alert. We've been, and our leadership on Monday night's been reading through a book by Jim Simbla, Fresh One, Fresh Fire, and, and it's really talking about every week we, we read this chapter, it's exactly where God has us, just like the message today. Where we're at in the Word is where God has us as a congregation. But Jim asked the question, he goes, if revival comes, are we ready for it? <laughs> Do we want it? Because revival will turn your world upside down. Revival is going to cause you to have to live differently than you've been living. Now, if you're wanting revival, great. <laughs> Turn my world upside down. I'm t- I want the power. I want the love. I want evangelism. I want, I want God working in a mighty way. But you've got to be willing, right? The rich young ruler, he wasn't willing. <laughs> Nicodemus, he wanted what Jesus had to say, but he came at night. He didn't want his whole world turned upside down. But this is what it's saying. Wake up. Are you going to be awake and, and alert? In Matthew 26, 38, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to them, his apostles, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and what? Watch with me. Be vigilant with me. And in Matthew 26, 40 and 41, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, knowing Jesus the way I know Jesus, this this surprises me. You see, I would have seen Jesus going back to these guys. They're not aware of of the, the cross, even though he's told them plainly. Man, this has been a long three and a half years. These last few days have been so stressful. We went from ABCs to trigonometry and their brains are, ah, they're, they're so stressed out and exhausted. I would have seen Jesus walk over and stroke Peter's hair and touch John's foot. And just, 
Oh, sleep, you need the rest. That's what I would have thought Jesus would have done as a shepherd. But he doesn't. He goes over and kicks him. (laughs) Wake up! Don't you realize Satan is on the prowl right now? And right now, what happens in these next few hours is life-changing. Individually, are you going to stand or are you going to fall? Are you going to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might? Or are you going to fall to the multitudes shouting, crucify him, crucify him? I'm telling you, for your own soul, but also for me, to be with me in my hour of need. I need you to get up and wake up and pray. I'm going to go over there by myself, but I need you guys awake. And you know the story. This happens several times, doesn't it? I like it in Mark 13, verse 32 to 36. But of the day and hour Jesus talks about in the last days, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but the father. Take heed and what? Watch and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man who goes on a far country and led his house and gave authority to his servants and to each one his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Verse 35, watch therefore, and for you do not know the, the hour, you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, midnight, the crowing of the rooster or in the morning. Verse 36, lest coming suddenly he finds you, what? Sleeping. Here's the conclusion. In the last days, believers, like us, what I say to you, I say to all, what? Watch, be awake, be vigilant. In Luke 21, 36, again, on the last days, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. In 1 Peter 4, 7, Peter, again, speaking on the last days, but at the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and what? Watchful in your prayers. When you're seeing all the things come at the end, you're in the midst of that. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 3, or 2 Timothy 3? In the last days, perilous times will come. It's okay. Perilous, come on, baby. We're, we're strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I don't care. Oh, they arrest me, then I'll have a prison ministry. They beat me up and humble my heart even more and, and let, the, let the love of Jesus like Stephen. <laughs> Father, forgive him, just like Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive him. Well, they may put me in a hole and I'll starve to death. I'll have all that time to pray before I die. Wonderful. No weapons formed against us will prosper if we are a people of prayer. They can break your arm, you can pray. They can take away your Bible, you can pray. They can arrest everybody in church, you can pray. (laughs) You can be in a coma, and well, guess what? You can pray. We're, we're, We're always victorious. Oh yes, they kill us all the day long as a sheep to the slaughter, but we are more than conquerors through his love for us, either things in the past, nor in the present, nor in the future will ever separate us from the love of God. We are victorious, more than conquerors. I don't know how that's possible. As far as I know, conquerors the top rung. But Jesus says there's a rung past being conquerors. Again, in the last days, in Revelation 3, verse 2 and 3, he says to the church of Sardis, 
Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received, heard, hold fast, repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, there it is. If you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. In 1 John, it says, don't abide in him, little children, so you don't shrink away in shame at his appearing. We want to be attuned to what's happening. We want to know the times and the seasons we're in. Oh, they've always been saying the Lord's coming back. That's also a prophecy. (laughs) Peter said there's going to be a group of people. I think most of them are Christians going, yeah, I was back at the tent with Chuck in 1969. And he said the Lord was coming back anytime. And here we are now, 2023, and the Lord still hasn't come back. You've always been saying that. Yeah, it's important for every Christian to, to understand that we need to be ready as if the rapture would come today, whether it comes in our lifetime or not, right? It's like the strings of a guitar. If they're just put them on there and they're all flopping around, it won't do anything, right? If I just get some random tightness on the guitar, it'll still sound horrible, huh? You gotta get the right tension on every string to make beautiful music. In the same way in our lives, we need tension so we're not giving ourselves into lustful sin, giving ourselves into greed, giving ourselves into anger, our bitterness, or laziness, or not a diligence in the word and in prayer and seeking God. And, and none of this is out of condemnation. None of this is out of, I think I'm not going to go to heaven or God doesn't love me. Because I'm not praying the way I ought to or reading the Bible the way I No, there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ. But there needs to be that tension that I want to be a vessel sanctified, set apart for the use of God. We need that tension. The final thing here in verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with the fourth thing now, thanksgiving. We are to be vigilant in prayer, but always with thanksgiving for great things God has done. You see, this is the one I think that overcomes the devil. (laughs) Because he's throwing all this trash at us. He's putting pressure on us. The demons are attacking us and we're laughing. (laughs) We're full of joy. I love Paul and and, and Silas in that prison after they had been beaten and they're in the prison. They start singing and worshiping God. Such a power. The joy of the Lord is our, what? Strength. Let's finish up here. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, now this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we've asked of him. This confidence in prayer brings thanksgiving. God heard my prayer. God hears the meditations of our heart. How much more when we actually Say a word in prayer. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. That makes me smile. Does it make you smile? He always hears us and answers it perfectly in his will. Thank you, Lord. If God answered all my prayers, there'd be a lot of dead people in the world, all on the freeway. (laughs) I'm, I'm glad God just hears the righteous things that are in his will. And then when I do pray, 
I have no idea. I'm asking for a firecracker, and he has in mind a nuclear bomb. He does exceedingly abundantly above. Rejoice. In Matthew 7, 8, everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. All these promises and prayer bring such thanksgiving, doesn't it? In Matthew 11, Jesus is crazy. You know, I think, I think Jesus could have been more practical saying, now guys, don't pray for crazy big things. Keep it small, reasonable. I mean, that's what I would have thought because I know a lot of Christians that think that way. Jesus, when he taught on prayer, he did, he, he did not think small. He answered in Mark eleven twenty two to 24, Jesus answered to them, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever sees this mountain be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. In John 14, 13 to 14, and whatever you ask in my name, what? That I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14 now, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should remain and that what? Ever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you Do you understand the concept of prayer? We're not to go in and say, now before I pray, let me do a theological study on this. Have you prayed anything this week? No, I'm still studying it out. We're just to be kids. You know, our little three-year-old kid can come in at, you know, nine at night when they were supposed to be bed at 7.30, they're supposed to be sleeping. Can I have a bowl of ice cream? No. No, he hates me. He never wants to talk to me again. My dad's going to kick me out of the house. We can ask crazy things. We can ask foolish things. A lot of times we're we're, we're just still like little children in some things, aren't we? Especially when we have needs. When we're in pain, we're like little children. Just heal me. No, no, don't want to talk about the persistent stuff. I don't want to talk about you working in my pain. I don't want to talk about you, you know, that in this world we'll have many tribulations. I don't want to hear about that. I just want you to heal me, period, in a story. We can be like little selfish children. It's okay. He loves us. You'll never pray a wrong thing. He just won't hear you. (laughs) He won't answer it. He's not bothered. Matter of fact, if you don't have a lot of unanswered prayer, you're not praying enough. We just need to share everything with the Lord in prayer. We need to ask the Lord for every mountain to be moved. God will do what he wants and exceedingly abundantly above. All, uh, there's three quotes I just want to read that bring my heart to thanksgiving when I pray. Those who are in faith make prayer their first priority. But those who are weak in faith make prayer their last thought. Those who are strong in faith make prayer their first priority. Those who are weak in faith make prayer their last thought. Here's another one. With God, you are a majority. <laughs> Love that one. Here's another one. God is on the throne. We are at his footstool, only a knee's distance away. God's not way up there. He is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Epaphras 
was a man who had all four of these aspects in praying. In Colossians 4.12, we'll be looking at it coming up. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Wow, what a perfect prayer. I think Paul heard Epaphras pray this amazing prayer going, I got to write that down. Yes, that's perfect. Make it, may they all stand perfect, complete in all the will of God. Paul had this kind of prayer life in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, night and day praying exceedingly that you may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Night and day praying exceedingly. Jesus in Hebrews 5.7, who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers, supplication with vehement cries and tears to him, God the Father, who is able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Wow. We think about Jesus' prayer life. Here's an insight. Many prayers, plural. Many supplications, cries and tears. What a prayer life Jesus had. Like a little child, he came to his father in this earthly flesh with great needs. My final exhortation is this. Is that all of us would take up that mantle, that labor of love, fight side by side with all believers from around the world. I think the prophecy to Ezekiel is a word from God to us today. Ezekiel 22.30, and I searched for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the, the land that I should not destroy it. But listen to this, but I found no one. Interesting. I, as God's eyes went to and fro throughout the whole earth to find somebody whose heart was loyal to him, that he could strengthen him and use him mightily God said, I need a man to stand in the gap. I need a Moses. I need a Joshua. <clears throat> I need a Jeremiah. I need a Paul. I need a Peter. I need, a God. I need an Apostle John. I need somebody to stand in the gap. Just one guy is all it takes. Between the wickedness of the people and the righteousness and the judgment of God. Jonah. Unwilling, but he was a man who stand in the gap, didn't he? And he got to Nineveh and he preached as quiet as he could, as quick as he could. Went from one end of that city to the other in three days, which was a huge city, which was a hard feat. He wanted to just get it done, hoping nobody would repent. But yet they, even with that horrible sermon, with that fast walking, it, it was enough and they repented and God did not destroy that city as he did Sodom and Gomorrah. One final quote by my pastor, Chuck Smith. You cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. But after you have prayed, then you can do more than pray. Well, Lord, we come before you this morning knowing that prayers is the theme of what's happening I don't think just in America and Ashbury, but I think around the world right now, you're bringing us to a place of prayer. We know that's exactly where you want the last day's church being. 
in a house of prayer, in a place of prayer, that we would make your church, like you said, the temple, your father's house, that this father's house here would be a house of prayer. Let our time before services be rich. Thank you for the time we had this morning. Wednesday night, let it be rich. Before service, after service, at the end of service, Lord, cause your people to pray with a fervency and a desire. Lord, waken us all morning by morning. Quicken our ear to hear as a disciple. And let us not be rebellious nor turn our back, but get up and roll upon our knees and cry out to you, God, revive this sinful soul. We draw a circle around ourselves and say, God, revive me. We can't revive anybody else. Like Joshua, we have to stand and say, as for me and my house, I can't speak for my neighbor. I can't speak for the nation. I can't speak for the church. I can't speak for my friends and my the close, intimate Church members, I can only speak for myself. As for me, God, do what it takes. I don't care the pain. I don't care the hardship. I don't care the difficulty. Whatever it takes to make my soul repent, broken, humble, or I'm laying there not letting you go. I'm exhausted. My hip is out of joint, but I still have the wherewithal to not let you go till you bless me. Lord, we don't want those areas of Jacob in our life. They need to go. We need to be Israel there. Maybe it's in our finances. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's in our thought life. Maybe it's in the area of finances. Maybe it's in the area of relationships. Maybe it's greed or bitterness or anger. Lord, we're, we're, a, we're a Jacob in these things. Throw out our hip. Put us on our back, whatever it takes, until we say, Lord, make me an Israel. Let me be governed by God in that place, in that relationship, at work, at home, wherever it is. Lord, make us a people of God after your own heart who do all your will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let's pray the Lord's prayer together and we'll end. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Woo, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for doing this today.